better singing than moving. <laughs> Thank you so much, um, each of you. Um, aren't the guys supposed to move stuff? Guys, aren't you supposed to be helping your wife up here, Craig? <laughs> welcome, welcome. It is a delight um, to be together in the house of the Lord. I'm glad that you are here. I really am, and I welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, that's, that's that song we just sang. That's the single purpose. That's the single purpose that we are here. If, if you think that you come to church, like you've had a real crud week, and maybe I come and, and like focus on me a little bit. Um, you know, I, I need a little tension. Some of us feel like that. Like maybe I'm going to get a little something that I need. I tell you what, you're looking in the wrong place. We come and we behold our God. That's the focus. We focus on Him, not ourselves. Um, Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. We continue on in our series, what I call Mark for a Mission. Our text this morning will be found in um, Mark 7, verses 31 through 37, the end of the chapter. I think we, we started our study um, around the beginning of the year, January. So we're cruising along, took a little break during the summer for Romans 12. Um, there is a lot in this text, and we need to, to first and foremost uh, pause and pray, um, ask God to direct us, um, to guard our minds even in these few moments. I believe, arguably, it has nothing to do with me, but I believe when God's people come together and the word of God is opened up and is preached before us, I believe it is one of, if not the single most important part of the entire week. Um, I am humbled by this responsibility, scared to death on a regular basis. Um, but may we understand that we gather together, um, all of us, to hear a word um, from the Lord, to behold our God. Let's pray together. Father, we come into your presence and our heads are bowed right now as a sign of our submission to your authority. We recognize that you rule and you reign over everyone and everything. Father, I, I pray, Lord, right now, I pray, Lord, for individuals that are with us that are going through difficult times and moments. God, my, my heart aches for the Malk family. Um, I'm grateful, Lord, that they're here today to be surrounded by your people to, to love on and encourage them as they lost um, their husband and father and Brian. Father, I would pray that we would sense your presence and your power to comfort. Father, I, I pray for others that just perhaps and, and maybe others don't even know that they're just aching and hurting and ailing, weak and exhausted physically. God, I would ask that you would encourage them and strengthen them. Father, perhaps there's those amongst us that need a, a prod or a prick in your direction. And I pray, Lord, that that would happen through the ministry of the Spirit and through the power of your word, your word. We love you. We, we are so delighted and amazed that you are so patiently gracious with us, that you lavishly pour out mercy 
mercies that are new every day. Father, I, I beg that you would guard my mind and my mouth not to say anything that would not edify this body and exalt, exalt the name of Jesus. May this time be for your glory and for your glory alone. Open up, please, Lord, open up our, our ears to hear you. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. I, I think in all honesty, as I am, and I'll use the word maturing, um, James Roper says that we are to be growing slowly wise. I'm just discouraged because it's a lot slower than I really expected it to be. As I'm getting older, okay, that's the term nobody wants to use. I, I'm recognizing that structure um, is very, very important, and I appreciate kind of order and structure more than I probably ever have. And, and as we have been working through the book of Mark, um, there is amazing structure to this book. Um, answering a single question all the way through, who, who is this man? Who, who is this Jesus? Many wonder and ask, perhaps you even know people, perhaps your neighbors, kids that you ride the school bus with or study alongside of in school. Many people wonder, like, what's the fuss all about? Who is this Jesus? Who is this man, this miracle worker? We've seen all the way through the Gospel of, of Mark. Who, who's this one who claims to be the Messiah? The structure to Mark, the order is what? From the very, very beginning, he is revealing himself. He is unlike anyone else. He alone is the God-man. There's no one else like him. And he, he reveals this through his ministry, teaching and healing and preaching a, a single message and a message that is unlike any other message. From the very beginning of the book of Mark, we hear what? Come, repent of your sins and be forgiven, period. Okay, that, that cry goes out to all of us. Come, repent of your sins and be forgiven. Come, recognize your sickness, all kinds of people have been healed so far in the ministry of Jesus. You've got to recognize you're in trouble. You're sick and be healed. That, that's, that's the message. That's the order that we have seen in the gospel of Mark. T today, we will, see, we will see just that happen with what I call one of the, the strangest, strangest miracles that Jesus accomplishes. And yet it reveals to us an absolute spectacular message. Follow, follow along as I read Mark chapter 7. We'll finish the chapter today. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 31. I'll read down through verse 37. Here it is. The word of God. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the, to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him, they begged him to lay his hands on him. And, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looked up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, 
Ephatha, Ephatha. That is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. As we begin, do, do we, um, do any of you like riddles? You know, riddles like uh, what's, what's red, excuse me, what's black and white and red all over? And you're like, oh, it's a newspaper. You know, you like riddles? I hate riddles. I hate them, in all honesty. It's not like, it's not R-E-D, it's R-E-A-D. It's a whole different red. Like, we can't track. I just feel really dumb whenever I hear a real, like, never figure them out. You know what? In our text today, we actually have a riddle before us. Listen to this very, very carefully. Who is permitted to speak but is not able and able to speak but not permitted? This man. That's the answer. Get it? Aren't riddles fun? I don't like riddles, but I love this story. I love the story behind the, the what? The one who was allowed to speak but couldn't, and the one who could speak but was not allowed. What has happened here? Jesus and his disciples have now made their way back through the region, Tyre, Sidon, to the Sea of Galilee. They're into the region of Decapolis. They are deep in Gentile country. Uh, we know it's the area of Phoenicia. It's under Syrian rule. Rule, thus the Syrophoenician women, woman that we talked about just last week when Aaron was preaching. If you recall, this is the same area, Decapolis. Perhaps it rings a bell. Mark chapter 5, there was the demon-possessed man, and, and he was freed from his demon, demons named Legion, and he was sent out into the countryside, and he has been, what, literally shouting and speaking and, and telling everyone about this one, this one miracle worker, this one man, this one Messiah whose name is Jesus. Now, now today we see another miracle, and as I said, it is one of the most unusual, and yet at the same time, it's one of those beautiful miracles that Jesus performs. Number one, here it is, Jesus senses a serious need. Jesus senses a serious need. You've got to picture the scene with me a little bit. There's a man who is deaf, he cannot hear, and it says he has a speech impediment. The NIV translates it, it says that he can hardly talk. You've probably met a person before who is deaf, and they've not, they've not been able to hear words, so they cannot pronounce words. And so there's sounds that are being made. And it says that he is being brought, he is being hurried along by some friends to meet Jesus. They, they know that what? There's someone their friend needs to meet. He must meet. It's evident that there's a sense of urgency and, and almost expectancy here. Perhaps there's even one of the friends who have a hand on his back that are guiding him or pushing him. You've got to go. You've got to meet this one. Up there, up there, there's hope for you. Around that man right there, there can be healing. 
I thought about it. I thought, you know, we have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus. It's, it's part of the Great Commission. It's part of the mandate. I, I wonder, do we, do we put a hand on the back of someone and, and with a sense of expectancy and urgency and excitement say, you've got to meet him. You've got to meet him. I thought, you know, as ones who are called to be witnesses, we should have the same type of, of excitement, anticipation, and expectation that these friends had. It says by the time that they got to Jesus, it says that they begged him. They're literally begging. I don't know, did they fall on their knees? They begged him, speaking of Jesus, to lay hands on him, to heal their friend automatically we, we begin to say, well, what, what, what will Jesus do here? How is Jesus going to respond? I don't know if you've picked up or not, but all the way through, not just the Gospel of Mark, but all the Gospels, look at the ministry of Jesus. He always deals differently with different people. There's never a, a, a rote method or formula. Every single person is, is an individual. There's no, no two cases that are identical. It's never like, what you have to do is just, you stand here and face this direction. Okay, smile like this. Okay, tilt your head a little bit. There's none of that. Every person is unique. I wonder why that is. Last week, as I said, Pastor Aaron preached on the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus because her daughter was demon-possessed. And if you recall, the response that Jesus gave, in all honesty, it was kind of cold callous the, the response you could probably even say was was somewhat rude in this reference to dogs and, and gentiles or, or like dogs and and what's interesting is that the woman's faith was seen by the lord the lord did free her daughter from a demon and it was an amazing lesson that was taught that what the walls come down the gospel goes to all people not just some people to all people jew and gentile What's interesting is that Jesus was kind of rough with her, but in this particular text, we will see that Jesus is, oh, so gentle. He is so kind. He's so patient. I read one commentator this week. He described Jesus in this text, and I love this phrase, as melt in your mouth sweet. Beautiful description. Why, why, is, it, why is it that Jesus seems to treat some people firmer with firmer words or a firmer touch than he does other people. John chapter 11 is a perfect example. Two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha literally, literally races out and meets Jesus and says, if you would have been here, our brother Lazarus would not have died. Jesus rebukes Martha. Says he will rise again. She's like, yes, yes, I know at, at, at the resurrection. He said, no, I am the resurrection teaches a lesson, but he is firm with Martha, shutting her down. Whereas by the time he makes it into the house and sees Mary, Mary says exactly the same thing. Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother Lazarus would not be dead. What is Jesus' response in John chapter 11? You know this. It says that he goes in and he just weeps. It doesn't say where he just weeps alongside of Mary. Why is that? Why is that? Why? Because God 
sees our hearts. He sees your heart. And he sees, in all honesty, there are moments in our lives where we need a gentle, tender, compassionate word or touch. And then there's other times in our lives where we need a holy kick in the rear end. And Jesus knows that. That's why every single person, every single person here, has got to understand that Jesus sees you as an individual. We see this in this miracle. Jesus identifies with this man. He cannot hear. It's hard, unless you've suffered hearing loss or perhaps, perhaps have. If you cannot hear, you can barely speak. Never realize that we oftentimes take the little things, which in all honesty are not really that little, for granted. The ability to hear is an amazing gift. I, I love to sleep. Even now as it's, as it's getting cooler in the evening, I love to sleep with um, my window open on my side. And, and I hear the crickets at night, and I love the sound of the crickets. When, when, when we were being shown our house by this precious older couple, um, the, the gentleman said, the same window, he said, I, I like to keep this window open at night. And he goes, and at night I can hear the, the train whistle go off. We're up on a hill, you can hear it down in the valley, you can hear the train whistle. And he just thought that was so cool. I couldn't care less if I hear a train whistle or not. But you know what's interesting? You know what's interesting happened even as recently as last night? I heard the train whistle. I heard that. And I think of Bruce and Marianne Robertson, the precious older Christian couple who needed to sell their home at the exact same moment that we needed to buy a home. And I, and I think about them, and I thank the Lord for providing a home for us. And I, and, and I pray for them as a couple. All because what? Because I hear. Because we hear. How we delight in hearing the words of what? Your spouse who whispers in your ear those precious words. You love to hear what? A little one, the pitter-patter of their feet running up to you with arms outstretched to say, Daddy, Mommy! We love to hear that. This, this man could hear nothing. And because he could not hear, he could not speak. It is so evident he needed a miracle. Jesus senses this man's need. It's interesting here, very interesting. In this particular verse, there's a phrase that says, describes the man that he was deaf and had a speech impediment. It's an entire phrase that in, in Greek translates with one word. It's the word megalilos. One word, megalilos, it literally translates a whole phrase in English, deaf and had a speech impediment. What's interesting is that that is the only time that Greek word is used in the entire New Testament, right here in Mark chapter 7. What's also interesting is that word is used one more time, the Hebrew equivalent in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 35. As Mark is penning this, remember Peter is telling the story, Mark is penning this, he is making a cross-reference to Isaiah 35. Very clear. Well, what, what is it that Isaiah 35, the prophet Isaiah, 600 years before this, this event, this miracle, 600 years Listen to what Isaiah chapter 35 says. Strengthen the weak hands. 
Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious hearts, aren't, aren't there moments that we have anxious hearts where we worry and fret and fear? Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Listen to this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And here's that one word, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. What what is Mark doing? He is referencing that, that the one Isaiah speaks about here is here. 600 years prior, he he has and writes a messianic prophecy. And now in Mark chapter 7, we see the fulfillment of the one who what? Who what? Opens the ears of the deaf that are unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Oh, my brother Dan, the day is coming that... He will leap like a deer through the work of a God who does miracles. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. How we delight in lifting up our voices together in worship. Think of ones who cannot do that, that because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you understand what's happening here? See, see, do you see the blind throughout the gospel of Mark, the blind have been opening their eyes through the work of Jesus. Do you see the deaf have, have been hearing, the mute have been speaking? Why? Because God has come, just as Isaiah promised. God has come to save you. Jesus is God who has come to save you. We see this revealed throughout the gospel of Mark. Number one, Jesus senses a serious need. Secondly, number two, Jesus offers a strange touch. There's several things here that Jesus does. The first one, again, we see the compassion that just pours out of Jesus. It says that Jesus took this man away from the crowd. He wanted to speak with him privately. What what was to be done was to be done so that no other people would see it. Why? So that there's no confusion. This isn't like a magic trick here. This is not a magic show. They don't want anybody confusing what? The idea that we have to do this in order to. It's not that. One commentator, Tim Keller, actually says it like this. He goes, no ritualistic mumbo-jumbo here. So so we're going to pull the man aside by himself. Jesus begins what? Sign language. People who are who are deaf, have a heightened sense of vision, and they pick up on everything. And Jesus uses sign, touching. First thing he does, he pulls them away privately. The second thing, look at this. It says that Jesus stuck his fingers in the man's ears. In the man's ears. Now, I had to check the translation. In all honesty, I was like, okay, Maybe there's a misprint here somewhere. Maybe actually what they intended to say was touch the man's ears, right? I mean, really, this is like, isn't that a little invasive, a little intrusive? You're sticking here. So I I was looking, I was researching this word. What you oftentimes do is do comparisons with other translations. Uh, Let me me make it very clear. Let, Let me read to you some of the, how the other translations translate this particular verse. The NIV says what? Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. 
The New Living says he put his fingers into the man's ears. The Berean Study Bible says he put his fingers into the man's ears. New American Standard says he put his fingers into his ears. The King James, he put his fingers into his ears. I think it's kind of clear where Jesus put his fingers. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says after putting his fingers in the man's ears, the ISV putting his fingers in the man's ears, the Aromatic Bible in plain English, I've never even heard of that Bible before, translates it, he put his fingers into the man's ears. Guess what? This is not a misprint here. You're thinking exactly what I'm thinking, but you wouldn't ask it. Isn't this what we kind of, do, do you, if you have older siblings, you know what a wet willy is? <laughs> you know, so this is kind of like, I was looking at this, so is this a dry willy? <laughs> totally something, totally different, Totally strange. Well, it doesn't stop there. It actually gets weirder. It says what the third thing that Jesus does, he breaks every single church nursery worker test. He would never cut it in nursery ministry, okay? Breaks every hygienic rule that there is. It says that Jesus spits and touches the man's tongue. Again, this had to be a misinterpretation down through the ages. Perhaps is it translated from Greek to Aramaic to English? It's somewhere along the line. And so I looked at this. What's interesting is that you have theologians and intellectuals and, and experts. They have like massive arguments on where Jesus really spit. Like did he spit on the ground? Did he spit, did he spit on his hand? There's all different types. I think the New American Standard Version is actually probably the most accurate when it translates from English to Greek. After spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. And a child shall lead them. So we, we, we see something that we've never really seen before. We have a miracle before us that we've never really even got close to. After Jesus sticks the, his finger in the guy's ears and spits on his finger and touches his tongue, the fourth, fourth thing that he does, it says that he looks up into heaven. Now again, sign language, okay? Making it very clear. He's trying to communicate what? What you are about to witness, what is about to happen comes from above. Power from above. This is not a magic trick. He is making it very, very clear. I'm reminded of James' words in chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, is a gift from above, coming down from the Father. So Jesus is very, very clearly, what? He's, he's directing this man. He's directing this man's attention to behold our God. It, it says as well that he sighed. The NIV says it was a deep sigh. Other translations use the word that he moaned. In a sense, just identifying 
with the agony that this man is in. He's, he's sympathizing, he's empathizing with him in expression that he feels the hurt that this man feels. He talks about the fact that what? There's compassion in, in, in showing that there is power that comes from heaven. There's compassion as there's power that comes from heaven. I thought about us again as we're witnessing, as we gently put our hands and we, what, point them, perhaps with excitement towards Jesus. Do we point them to the fact that, that we point them to someone who, what, shows compassion from above? That's, that's the way that we're to do ministry. I need to work on that. Me, in my flesh, I'm not compassionate. As we, as we call ourselves, what, followers of Jesus, we call ourselves Christians, ones like Christ, we have got to learn this. We've got to master this. Do you show people that? After Jesus sighs, it says, what, he speaks in Aramaic, his common everyday language. And he says, Ephatha, Ephatha, Ephatha. All week I've been practicing how to pronounce that word. As I drive into my garage, I say the word Ephatha. And what's amazing is that the door just opens up. <laughs> Ephatha. And it opens up. But the problem is, Every single time I say, I have to push a little button in order for it to open up. And yet, Jesus doesn't push any buttons here. How, how much, really? I mean, this is just how messed up my mind is at times. How much, how much easier is it to open a garage door than it is to open up a man's ears to hear? That's, that's the God. The one who speaks. Look at this. Look at this. His ears were open and his tongue was released. And these three words, and he spoke plainly. Can you imagine the very first time you're ever able to utter words and they come out what? With perfect dictation. Come out with perfect pronunciation. Why? Because Jesus is the one who heals. Not being able to hear, and now all of the sounds. Not being able to speak, and what? You, you can say anything. He's amazed. And speak he does. Apparently he speaks so much that he won't stop speaking. Which brings us to our third and final part. Jesus gives an even stranger command. Jesus gives an even stranger command. There are questions that we have when we read scripture, and you know that. If we spend any time, I meet with some guys early on Friday morning. They're such morning guys, and I am not. They're like six o'clock in the morning, and, and they got these really deep questions because we're reading scripture, and we all have questions. This is one of those phrases, one of those verses where, excuse me, I just have a question here. It, it says what? And Jesus charged them to tell no one. One sentence, eight words. What? This is like a miracle that just took place. This is big. This is big time. This is huge. Today, what happens? Someone goes to the doctor because, because they get a splinter taken out. 
And that news goes everywhere. They're, 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 they're Twitter and hashtag feeling fine. Hashtag little miracles. That, that's, that's today. And yet this, this is big stuff. Huge. And, and Jesus says what? He says, tell no one. I'm confused. I'm confused. Strange. You ever feel like you're just like, okay, there's a part of the story that maybe I missed here. I'm out of the know. That, that I'm not tracking, I'm missing something here. That's how I feel. Doesn't Jesus make it very clear? Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and tell. Doesn't it say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right before Jesus ascends up into heaven? What? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You receive power and you will be my witnesses. You will speak about me. Which reminds us that if we don't speak about him, you're probably not one of his. You realize that? If you don't speak about Jesus, like if you don't find yourself, I just have to tell you, I have to tell you, then, then you probably don't belong to him. It's that normal. It's that natural. It's that expected. So what is happening here with this phrase? What does Jesus mean by this? What is Jesus doing? Why is this? Why, why all of this? Why this miracle this way? In preaching, you, you, you say what? You must answer the question, so what? So what? We hear this miracle. It's, this is the weirdest miracle I've ever seen. So what? What do we do with this? What's happening here? I want you to understand, here it is. The answer is found really in Luke chapter 9, the gospel of Luke in chapter 9. The answer is very, very clear. Jesus in Luke chapter 9, in verses 18 through 20, 22, is talking to his disciples and he asked his disciples, those guys closest to him, he asked the question, who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond, well, some think that you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Some think that you're Elijah, you dress better than him, but some people think you're Elijah. Some people just think you're an Old Testament prophet. And then Jesus asked this question. He, he looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? First question is, what do they say? But Jesus looked at those close to him and says, who, who do you say that I am? Peter. Peter is the man. He, you know he speaks for the group, and he answered, and guess what? Peter got this one right. It says this. It says, Peter answered. Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks for all the disciples. It says that Peter answered, and he said, you are the Christ of God. Peter gets an answer right. You are the, the word is Christos. You are the Christ, the only one. It signifies his office as the anointed Savior. It alludes to the spiritual qualifications for the task that you have for saving people. In essence, he is saying, you are the Messiah. People have been looking. People have been waiting and expecting for the Messiah. And here he is. What is the next thing that Jesus says? What, what is it? Let me read to you. It says this, that Jesus strictly charged and commanded them, saying, tell this to no one. 
wait a minute. They get the answer right. You are the Messiah. And the Messiah says, uh, uh, don't tell. And he continues on and he concludes in verse 22 of Luke chapter 9. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected, must be killed, and be raised. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you only have half of the story. The plot's not finished yet. Don't give people half the story. You've got to have the whole story of the gospel. Jesus knew what? He had not fulfilled the purpose that he had come to fulfill. Now we know, obviously, before the cross, before the cross, people got saved. Before the cross, people were healed. Before the cross, people were forgiven as a result of their faith, acting on their faith in repentance, at looking toward and forward at the cross and the work that Jesus was going to do on the cross. But now what? Now, after the cross, people today are still saved. They are healed. They are forgiven as a result of their faith acting on their faith in repentance, looking back at the work that Jesus did accomplish on the cross. He cries out, it's finished, it's all done. Which means what? We've got to understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just about you being healed. It's about the one who does the healing. Behold our God. How often do we focus just on ourselves? I used to be this, but I'm not any longer. I used to do this, but I don't any longer. Wait, wait a minute. Don't tell that story. Jesus says, don't go and just what? Yes, you're amazing because you make deaf people hear and, and mute people speak. But, but, but Jesus is more concerned about your soul than he is about your body. We have got to, what is the application of this text? We've got to realize that we, we have the whole story to tell, not some of it. Now, there's no doubt, look at this. It says, the more that he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure. I love that. It's underlined in my Bible. Astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. No doubt that Jesus was exalted. He always will be. But understand what? Now the story is complete. Now we know. And so what? Wear a cross around your neck. That's fine. But that's not the only part of the story. You, you, you got to tell what the cross did. You, you can put a fish on the back of your car or a bumper sticker. Wonderful, but that's not where it ends. Like, okay, I'm doing my job. No, you've got to tell the whole story. I used to be a drug addict, and I'm not any longer. And the reason is because Jesus paid the price for my sins. He has forgiven me. He has rescued me from that, and now I live as a follower of Jesus Christ. I used to have an addiction to pornography. I used to, what? I used to have a problem with lying. I used to be an adulterer. But I'm not any longer. Well, why? You've got to include the message of the cross. That's, that's the good news. Great news that you have a changed life. Best news is we explain why and who changed 
your life. By his stripes, we are healed. As we celebrated communion just last week, we read Isaiah 53, by his stripes, we are healed. 1738, 1738, Charles Wesley, alongside of Isaac Watts, perhaps one of the greatest hymn writers of all time, was actually sick in bed. He was suffering from pleurisy. They really thought he was going to die, and, and, and he had some friends. Praise God for friends. Some friends came, and they surrounded his bed and they prayed for him, prayed that he would be well. What's interesting is that Charles Wesley had a Bible and after his friends left, he began to read the Bible and as a result of reading the Bible, he understood that he was, he was far more sick spiritually than he was physically. And he prayed and he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ right then and there. God healed him spiritually first. Eventually, yes, he was restored to full health. What's interesting is that one year to the day that he, he prayed that prayer and he committed his life to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because he recognized that he was a sinner and there's only one one who can save our sin, and that's Jesus. One year to the day after he prayed that, he wrote a hymn that, that many of us know. It goes something like this. I'm going to read it and not sing it to you. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the world abroad the honors of thy name. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come and leap, and leap, ye lame, for joy. What I have done is completely destroyed the practicing that the ladies had done all week long in their worship time, and I called them up or emailed, I think it was way too late, Thursday, and I said, hey, could you help me out with something? And so I'm going to invite the gals to come. And we're going to sing that old hymn together. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise.